0: morning. You know, um, sometimes a brilliant bit of storytelling can blur the lines between fact and fiction and help us see reality more clearly. This is certainly true of an episode of uh, a series called Black Mirror that came out this year, and it's called Nosedive. Dive. Nosedive is about a woman named Lacey, and Lacey is desperately trying to survive a world uh, where every person has a star rating. So think about uh, what you do when you take Uber, and you rate your driver on one to five stars every time. So imagine that expanding to all of life. Anytime you have a social interaction, you can rate the person that you saw or talked to on a scale of one to five. And everybody can see everybody's star rating. They've done something with the eyeball, and you look at someone, and you can zero in on what their star rating is. So uh, a child who's a 3.7, a man who's a 2.8. The main character of the show, Lacey, was a 4.2. High ratings will, will open doors of privilege and employment and belonging and discounts, and low ratings can literally close doors. It can get you fired from your job. It can get you uninvited to parties. And everyone is chained, as it were, to their star rating. The pressure for each individual to perform and to please is crushing. Everyone is, is rating everyone. It's what your identity is. I, I am a 3.7. I don't just have a 3.7 rating. That's who I am. The main character, Lacey, she wanted so bad to get into the high fours. But every time she tried to get into the high fours, people could pick up on the fact that she was trying too hard, and they give her a lower rating. She kept hitting snags. Do you ever feel the temptation to compare yourself with other people? Um, do you ever, without even thinking about it, he rate other people, oh, that person's kind of a two. Some of us compare our online presence with others. We look at, we look at their, their lives, their highlight reels, um, and, and their perfection, and we compare it with ourselves and be, man, I kind of have a boring life uh, compared with this person. Others of us are tempted to compare our bodies with other people. We rate our own bodies based on what we perceive others' bodies to be. And we build an identity off of that comparison. Many of us tend to compare professional status. Um, How high do you rank? How much gravitas do you have? Um, Where are you at in the guild versus where I'm at in the guild? Or on grades? Rating. What's your rating? Others of us compare, you know, our relationship status. Whether or not we're friends with the right people, whether or not we're in a romantic relationship, um, and what the ranking is of the person we're, we're in relationship with, what's their ranking and our ranking together. The reason that the show, uh, the, the the show, um, what was it called, nosedive. You know, I was so disturbed by that. You know, why is because. That's how we're forming identities in our age. It's just that no one's talking about it except for the fictional show. It's so true to life. It's uber rankings, but it's creeping into the rest of our life. And we're, we're letting it happen. In order to know who we are, we, we rank ourselves, we compare ourselves based on surface realities, the, the scene reality. And under all that pressure, the incredible crushing uh, pressure to perform and measure up, we have forgotten who we are in Christ and we've not seen what the offer is of being united with Christ. We're so fixated on the seen reality of comparison with other people that we have gotten our eyes off of the unseen reality of union with Christ. What if I told you that you could be free of the star rating? What if I told you that you could receive rather than earn a deep and secure identity? What if I told you that it wasn't all on you, that you didn't have to look deep within and rank yourself a five? Because that doesn't work. That's a tiring exercise and it does not bear fruit. It doesn't last. You have to keep doing it. It has diminishing returns. Your identity is can be given rather than earned. An identity of being situated in an honorable family that contains all the status and power and love you could ever need, you could ever ask for. And your membership in that family, once you've received it and said yes to it, which we'll talk about today, once you've received it, it's an irrevocable membership. What if I told you that a great hero has won a battle on your behalf, and he delights to share in his victory with you, a victory so profound that it would shape your life forever, not only in this life, but in the age to come. All of this is true. The offer of freedom, the offer of a secure identity, the offer of nobility and membership, it's all true in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, you can be free. In Jesus Christ, you can have an identity that is secure and deep. In Jesus Christ, you can be free of comparison. We're in a series called, Who Are You? Who are you? And who are you? Are you your job? Are you your gender? Are you uh, your performance? Are you your failures? Are you your body? Are you your star rating? Or could there be a deeper and more soulful answer to the question of who are you? In this series, we're exploring how our union with Jesus Christ, a great union with Jesus Christ, answers all of the questions we have about identity. We have all the answers, and the answers are deep and wide and high and long when we are asked the question, who are you? The reality of being united with Christ is a satisfying and a secure identity in which we can rejoice and rest. When we say yes to Jesus Christ's offer to unite himself to us, he forgives our sin, he restores our true self, he helps us become who we are, and he grants us a center of spiritual gravity from which we can love God and neighbor in great freedom. Now, I hope you'll give this series your serious consideration, whether you're a religious skeptic or whether you're a longtime Christian or both. I really hope that you'll bring your mind and your heart to this series because it's so foundational and important. It may be that you want to consider union with Jesus Christ as one of the different spiritual options available to you. Or maybe you've already chosen it. You've said, this is mine and I want it. But you don't feel the impact of it yet. Or, you know, you feel the impact of your star rating more than the impact of your union with Christ. Whether you're considering it or whether you've chosen it, this series is for you. And it's for your life and it's for your joy. You know, one thing I appreciate about Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that it acknowledges and normalizes the gap between, between our belief and our experience. What Rankin, Wilborn, pastor in LA called the gap between our knowledge of what it means to be united with Jesus Christ and our experience of it. As we talked about last week, sometimes it can feel like a long distance relationship. It's like, is this real? Is this really gonna work out? Because I'm thinking about, the, yeah, I just don't even know. Paul acknowledges that gap, and then he helps us get through it. I invite you to turn to page 9 in your programs. We're looking at Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. What is Paul going to say about the gap? What is Paul going to do about the gap? Or better, what has Jesus done about the gap? Starting in verse 15, Paul says this. For this reason, based, and this is based on what God has done and will do, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Okay, and this is important. And this is where there may be a difference between uh, all of us listening to this text and the, the uh, people reading this letter. Paul is assuming that the people reading this letter have said yes to their union with Jesus Christ. And for us this morning, there's probably a mix, okay? But what Paul is saying is, um, yes, you have said yes to your union with Christ. You have received the sacrament of baptism. Your sins have been forgiven. You've confessed him as Lord, and you're following him. And that's great, and that's wonderful. And it's really wonderful, too, that you have love for, your, for the saints, you love for fellow Christians, Um, which uh, by extension means that you're going to have love for neighbor, love for people even outside the church. Some wonderful things that have begun. You love God. You love neighbor. But there's still a gap. Um, There's still a gap between what is true in Christ and what these Christians have internalized to be true of Christ. Look in in the second half of verse 16. He says, Remembering you in my prayers... What is he praying for? Well, he's praised that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, this is important. Even people who had been united with Christ had imaginations that were not yet caught up with that union. And Paul is praying that the glorious Father would send his Holy Spirit to baptize the imaginations of people who are already united with Jesus Christ. He says, I need, I'm praying that the God would would open the eyes of your heart, having the eyes of your heart illumined so that you can see what is true but is still unseen. When all we can see is our star rating in comparison with other people, that's like having grime smeared over your windshield. It makes it really difficult to see the reality of our glorious union in Jesus Christ. All we can see is the online just comparison. All we can feel is the inadequacy or the pride and Paul is saying, I'm praying that, that the Father of glory would take his incredibly strong soap of the Holy Spirit and wash and scrub and squeeze uh, squeege your <laughs> windshield so that you can see what is true. And many of us this morning still have the grime, and it's a process for the grime to be removed. And yet, it's a process that we can own and say yes to this morning. Because if we could see what was true, it would fill us with hope. Verse 18, the second half of it refers to that that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Whenever you feel dread and darkness and heaviness about how you don't measure up, having the eyes of your heart enlightened to see the reality of our union with Christ fills you with hope and it also fills you with honor saying that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints meaning you are God's inheritance and the invitation is for you to become God's inheritance simply by saying yes to Jesus that he that like we talked about last week you're his treasure he delights to hold you he delights to say this this is my daughter this is my son I've been seeking him, I've been seeking her. Now I have her, and, and she, along with all the saints, is my great inheritance, the prize for which I died. We could see, if we could see what is true, it would fill us with hope, it would fill us with honor, and we'd know our power, in the words of Sheryl Sandberg, we'd know our power, verse 19, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe not towards us who feel but towards us who believe now what is paul saying this is a prayer for the gap to be closed and the gap can be closed between what is true about you and what you feel in your relationship with jesus christ our true identity can be internalized. Our imaginations can begin to see. The windshield can be cleared, and we can see what is true. And when we internalize that union, when we start to see it, we'll also begin to tap into the deep reserves of hope and the deep reserves of honor and the deep reserves of power as it is in Christ. Our family lived in Washington, D.C. for four years. Um, and, it, you know, living in D.C., it has its downsides and kind of pressures. Um, but it also has this it kind of, um, it gives you access to the great benefits which were already yours as someone living in the United States. Okay, so one of the benefits um, of living in the United States is that you can go to any of the Smithsonian's for free. Yes, they have that box, where you can put money in that you never put money in, but you don't have to put money in it. You can just go straight into seeing the great, tre- the great national treasures which are displayed for you to see and partake in. You can get a Library of Congress card. It is a little bit of a process, but you can get one for free, and you can go into the amazing Jefferson Reading Room and sit under a great, amazing dome at a beautiful, rounded, wooden desk, and government employees can bring you books all day long almost any book that you want they'll just bring you books and books and you can just sit there and study and read and by virtue of the fact that you live in the united states you can get a library of congress card but you know what i didn't get a library of congress card till i moved to washington dc why because i started exploring what was already mine i started taking my kids to the national postal museum which is a great place to take little kids they can run around but you probably haven't taken your kids there because you haven't gone there yet but it's yours But you gotta get close to it. You gotta move around. You gotta think about it. You have to have someone who's been there tell you about it. But it's yours, even if you've never experienced it. The gap between reality and experience can be closed as it relates to our union with Christ. Our identity can be secured. So let's go exploring, shall we? Let's go exploring. One of the most important aspects of our identity in Christ is that we are Christ's fullness. Now, I know that intuitively doesn't just, you know, click for you. It didn't for me. Maybe it does for you. But it's one of the most central and yet one of the most difficult realities to understand as it relates to our union with Christ. You, if you have said yes to Christ and all he's done for you, you are, you are Christ's fullness and y'all are Christ's fullness. Right? The church Everyone together is filled with everything Christ could overflow with. We'll unpack this, but here's a few metaphors to help you understand. You are Christ's fullness. What does that mean? Okay, that means that his character, that means that Christ's victory, that means that Christ's personal power, that means that Christ's grace doesn't stay inside him. It overflows from him in infinite measure to people who want it, overflows, okay, so as a head, okay, fills a, its corresponding body with meaning and direction and, and life, so Christ fills his church. As a commanding general fills his troops with confidence and a battle plan, so Christ fills his sons and daughters As party guests fill a dinner table with delicious food and engaging conversation, so Christ fills his people. As God once filled his temple with glory and life, so Christ fills all those who are united with him with his fullness, his grace, his power anything that's overflowing from Christ for the life of the world fills up his people first and moves on from there. Any defeat or victory in the life of Christ fills us. Any change in status in Christ fills us. We're his body, which means we are his fullness. So what happened to Christ? It becomes very relevant then, doesn't it? What happened to Christ? If we're completely united with him, if everything that happened to him is overflowing into our life and existence, if it's defining us, well, then it becomes very relevant what happened with Christ. And Paul explains this. Um, In verse 20, and Paul is talking about the working of God's great might. It's for us, but also in verse 20, it says, Um, the power that he worked in Christ, when he, the Father, raised him, the Son, from the dead. A better translation would be, from among the dead ones. Other passages and others of Paul's letters refer to, from among the dead ones. It's not just, raised him from a dead state, but from the dead community. This is referring to the fact that Jesus Christ was tortured and he was put to death physically as well as spiritually because he united himself with our, he took our sin upon him. Any wrong thing we've done, any act of rebellion against God, he took it upon himself. He also took upon himself the great cruelty and injustice of the world. He took on our humble flesh as well. You know, see, Jesus cast off his heavenly garments, his power, his privilege, anything that he could use to um, keep himself separate from humanity and from our mess, he cast aside. And he subjected himself to being judged. He subjected himself to the star rating, to being criticized, to being mocked. And can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you know why? Because he loves us so much. He he didn't do it because he was forced to. He, He was full of his father's love so he could descend all the way down to the community of the dead ones, people who are dead in their sins, dead in their rebellion, dead in their star rating, attaching themselves to realities that are dying. Who will one day physically die? That's... The route he took, which, if you're united with him, I want you to think about that. Your Lord went all the way down to a 0.0 star rating, as it were, in every way. And he died. He joined the community of the dead ones out of love, not because he was forced to. That's your Lord and you're united with him, that's part of the freedom that he brings. The great honor of being united with Jesus Christ is that you can face any dishonor without internalizing it. Yes, that's a struggle to not internalize it. But what's true is that you don't have to internalize it forever. Jesus himself will help you internalize what he internalized, which was his father's love. Now, that's your Lord. That's part of the freedom that he brings. One of the most freeing things in the world is to say goodbye to the star rating and associate with people who are gonna bring yours down in the eyes of others. Hallelujah. That's one of the realities of being united with Jesus Christ. Would you know that joy? It's one of the ways to explore what's ours. Jesus faced down evil and it killed him. He went the way of weakness And trust in the Father. He went down into hell, down into the tomb, down to be among the dead ones, out of love. Now, if that sounds depressing, don't check out. It only makes sense if you keep reading the letter. We have to keep reading the letter to find out something else that happened with Christ. Verse um, because the Father was pleased to vindicate Jesus at the proper time by raising him up from among the dead ones. The latter half of verse 20 says that the father seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The father took him from from deep in the sewer among the dead ones and placed him all the way up in the highest heaven. He transcended the star rating. He transcended any earthly power. He's Lord over anything that could threaten us, anything that could demean us. And he put him in charge of the universe. And the father ranked him, verse 21, the father ranked him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now this is referring to a great victory, a great and wonderful victory over powers that stood against Christ and stand against you powers that are a mixture of seen and unseen dynamics. Powers that exist not only in this age, but in the age to come. Jesus Christ was crowned as victor over his enemies and over your enemy and our enemy. He's Lord over the star rating, okay? He crushes it. He transcends it. He's Lord also over racism and hate. He's Lord over oppressive governments and corrupt officials. He is Lord and victor over abuse of any kind. He is Lord over injustice. He's Lord and champion who defeated evil itself, including any evil person and any evil power. He's like the great David who ran out to face Goliath, the great enemy of the Israelites. None of them could defeat Goliath, but he could by the power of, of the father. And after he did, he stood over Goliath, and the rest of the Israelite army followed him in victory. In verse 22, <clears throat> the father put all things under, the, under his feet. This is an image of a newly crowned king. A king who has won a victory and now is seated on a throne. And continuing, he gave him as head over all things to the church. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Like I said before, these verses are the most important and hardest to understand in the whole book of Ephesians. So in order to cut through the confusion let us turn to the 2016 World Series champions, the Chicago Cubs. Now, when I moved to Chicago, I became a Cubs fan. I was catechized as a Cubs fan by watching WGN uh, as a child. And so the process of conversion was complete when I moved to the north side. And I endured the abuse of other fans from the NL Central. And... Um, I endured the many defeats and heartbreaks and jokes, and so did you, and yet none of you played for the Cubs, and neither did I. But the 2016 Chicago Cubs, okay? Only 25 of them, by the way. There's only 25 of them, plus coaches. Um, they won a great victory last year, didn't they? And that victory was shared with millions of, and millions, and perhaps billions of people. <laughs> Something like the fifth largest gathering in the history of civilization happened in honor of the Cubs. Now, the 25 Cubs and their coaches didn't go, oh yeah, this trophy, it's for ours. Bye-bye, I'm gonna go watch Netflix now. No, this, this trophy is for Chicago. This trophy is for anyone who wants to show up to the parade, this victory is for everybody. And so the Chicago Cubs brought themselves and their trophy through the streets of Chicago and invited anybody to come join them and share in the victory. This is yours. And not only is this yours, this is your great-grandmother who's been gone for 24 years, but she lived on the north side. Her victory, too. The victory of the Chicago Cubs. It was only 25 people filled the city with its victory. Jesus Christ does not keep the trophy of his triumph over sin and death in comparison to himself. He shares it with his body. He shares it with those who will gather around his victory and celebrate it and own it as theirs and celebrate it as the ultimate victory that displaces all the other personal victories and petty victories that we might get caught up in. He shares his victory with his church. And he fills his church with his new creational life. You know, Black Mirror ends that, uh, the, um, the episode ends in self-destruction. Lacey, at some point, can't handle the game anymore. And so she, she throws it all away and she tells everybody off she shows up to a wedding reception where all, everyone there is in the high fours and he just tells them off and she gets hauled off to jail and the episode ends with her in isolation. She, she It's left of Lacey's that she's behind bars shouting insults at another person who also himself has freed himself from the comparison game and they're just isolated and angry and that's where the comparison game leaves us if we never get free of it. If we don't try to take on the star rating ourselves, we lose because no individual person can stand up to the powers and win. You can't win against racism. You can't win against your rebellious, sinful hearts. You can't win against political corruption. You can't. You versus the powers, it's it's no match. That's not where it ends. We don't end isolated and defeated when we stand up to the star rating system. When we're united with Jesus Christ, our episode ends in worship because we're filled with his spirit and with his victory. We're united with Christ's body, other people, his family, when we say yes to Jesus. We're filled with Christ's fullness. We're filled with his victory, not only against the star rating system, but against racism and against greed and corruption. And the Holy Spirit, in his own way and his own timing, in the way of Jesus, the humble, self-giving way of Jesus, will give us the power to together show the powers what it looks like when Christ's body is filled with his fullness. Tonight, at pray Chicago, me and some other people from the south side of Chicago and the west side of Chicago and the north side of Chicago, we're gonna gather and we're gonna pray at Progressive Baptist Church and the powers are going to see what a church who has been united with Jesus Christ looks like, and we will show Chicago her future, a post-racism future. That's what it means to be united with Jesus Christ. When we're united with Jesus Christ, it gives us freedom to get our eyes off our star rating and on to God in worship and on to neighbor in love. Begin to give and begin to serve and go as low as we need to to bridge the gap of people who feel on the outside. Our gaze is on Christ. Our gaze is on our neighbor, and it's completely freeing. But you can't fix your gaze on your own. You know, if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity right now. We've been talking about the benefits for who knows how long today. And I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Jesus Christ offers you complete cleansing of any ways you've rebelled against God. He offers you um, belonging in his family. He offers you his very life and his love. You'll never be without love and significance and belonging for the rest of your life. And it's as easy as saying yes. Yes, Jesus, I want to begin to follow you. And the next step you could take is just to see a prayer minister while we worship today and say, I would like to, with another, someone who else is united with Jesus Christ, enter into this union. And then let us know because we want to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that you can see with your own eyes and feel with your own skin what it is to be washed and what it is to be united, what it is to be born into the family of God, to be brought close be brought into an amazing and beautiful covenant. Let's pray. Wherever you are at in your journey with Christ, I want you to uh, give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ, either for the first time or afresh. Give him all your burdens and anxieties and ask him to fill you with grace and love and power. If you feel hindered in loving your neighbor here in Chicago, if the star comparison game has kept you in a cell separate from your neighbor, ask Jesus to open the cell and point you in the direction of someone that you can love with your life. Jesus, we thank you that you're filling your church with all good things, and we pray that this morning you would fill us with the fullness, close the gap, help us see, open the eyes of our our imagination so we can see the great hope to which we've been called. We pray that you would set us free from comparison forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.